The Glamour by Oscar Grave. Recorded for Love Stories, Volume 3 by Colleen McMahon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Glamour by Oscar Grave. Until the night when Joe arrived home and found Lincoln alighting from a taxicab in front of his door, he had not understood how much more successful than himself Lincoln had been. It was the taxicab that made him realize the fact completely. It seemed a symbol of Lincoln's prosperity. Joe had traveled home to Brooklyn, as usual, in the subway and the elevated, and taxicabs were as much beyond his dreams as French touring cars. "'Hello, Joe,' called Lincoln when he caught sight of him. "'I telephoned your office to see if I could bring you down with me, but you'd just gone.' Joe felt an instant's regret as he thought of the effect of his arrival upon his neighbors. "'Hello, Link,' he replied. "'I wish you had called me. The subway was fierce tonight, crowded and hot. Awful hot anyway, isn't it?' They went up the dingy stairs of the flat house together, talking, Joe fumbling for his key while Lincoln's fingers gripped his other arm. It was the same old Lincoln, Joe saw. Nevertheless, there was a new sense of constraint between the two men, which to Joe at least was very palpable. They were at Joe's door before Lincoln asked, with a certain hesitancy in his voice, "'How's Mary?' "'Pretty good,' Joe answered. "'Here she is herself.' Mary laughed, blushed, and took Lincoln's hat. "'Come in, boys,' she said, "'and go in front. "'Dinner's almost ready, and I'll call you in a minute.' "'Now don't fuss, Mary,' Lincoln protested. "'Anything's good enough for me. "'When Joe asked me down, I told him I'd come after dinner, "'but he said that wouldn't do.' "'Sure, that's right,' Mary assured him. "'It's a long time since we've eaten together, Link. "'I mean, we three, she added. "'The men went into the small front room, the parlor. "'Come up and sit by the window, Link, "'where you can get what breeze there is. "'I won't light the gas, for that would make it hotter.' Lincoln took the green rocker by the window and fanned himself with a newspaper. Both men had removed their coats. "'What I should have done, Joe,' he said, "'was to have invited you and Mary down to have supper with me at the island. "'There's a new Italian table d'hote down there which is first class, Tosti's. "'Been there?' "'No,' said Joe shortly. "'He was thinking that his friend was sorry he had come. "'Well, he didn't blame him. "'It certainly would be a relief to get out of these wretched rooms for one night.' He remembered some little suppers he had enjoyed down at the island, during his bachelor days, with girls whose society he enjoyed, but to whom he owed no... He stopped his reflections at that point, and said to Lincoln, "'It's just about a month you've been back from Utah, isn't it?' "'Yes.' "'Been around much? Many changes?' "'Oh, Lord, yes,' Lincoln answered. "'Why, even in the three years I've been away, the island has become a different place. You remember...' Joe was apparently listening while the other rambled on. Occasionally he nodded yes or no, once or twice he laughed, but all the while his thoughts were spinning their own web. Why had he asked his friend here to show him so plainly his own poverty, his own failure? How ashamed of it he was, of this flat in a cheap neighborhood, of the gaudy furniture bought at ridiculously high prices from an installment house, of everything, of himself, of his wife. Mary's voice calling cheerily, come on, come on interrupted both Lincoln's reminiscences and Joe's reflections. The heat seemed intensified in the dining room. It was too hot there to enjoy the meal. Why couldn't Mary have given them something cold, Joe wondered. The roast lamb, the boiled potatoes, the beans, everything increased his repugnance. Lincoln had his hands at his eyes, a habit of his. But to Joe, the action spoke of concealed distaste and perhaps disgust. Mary hovered about the table, adjusting a plate here, another there, piling more beans on Lincoln's plate. 
She was unbecomingly flushed, and a strand of wet hair lay across her forehead. Oh, sit down, Mary, Joe said. She glanced at him quickly. Joe had not been himself lately, but this tone was new. Then she looked at Lincoln to see whether he too had noticed, but Lincoln's gaze was on his plate. She took her seat quietly. There was silence for a time after this. Mary tried to begin a conversation, and Lincoln helped, but Joe sat silent. After a while, Mary and Lincoln had it to themselves. There was a great deal to talk about, for Mary had been a stenographer in the office where both Lincoln and Joe had been clerks. That, of course, was before she had married Joe, and before Lincoln had gone west. Same old crowd, hey, Joe? Old Williams, Red, Billy Ridge, Jack, and all the rest? Lincoln finally asked Joe directly. Same old crowd, Joe answered. Any changes? About positions, I mean? Lincoln continued. Joe started. How he wished he could tell him to mind his own business, not to parade his own success before them. But, oh, how much more he wished he could tell him he had been made manager, or at least head bookkeeper. But he could not, and it was foolish to get angry. So he answered in a low voice, Nope, same old thing. Mary tried to get Joe's hand beneath the table. It's a shame, Lincoln, she said. Red's been made head bookkeeper, and Joe and I were counting on getting it. Joe was so humiliated that he could hardly remain seated. He felt that he was placed before Lincoln as a visible failure, an object of pity. Why couldn't Mary be still? That was a shame, Joe, Lincoln said. You've been there two years longer than Red. And we were figuring just what we could do with that extra six dollars a week, Mary went on. We were going to move down to Willoughby Street, Joe's old neighborhood, so he could save half an hour going and coming from business. Joe's been looking for another position, but he can't seem to find anything. Lincoln, if you should... For heaven's sakes, Mary! Joe had risen, and his chair fell back with a crash. Don't you know when to shut up? Afterward, Joe remembered how Mary's face went white at his words, and how she... It seemed ridiculous then, wiped her lips with her napkin again and again. Lincoln also arose and put his arm around Joe's shoulder. What's the matter, old man, he said. Something's wrong. Feel sick? The three stood silent for a moment, the others waiting for Joe to speak, thinking that he must be ill. Meanwhile, his thoughts were running like red fire through his brain, burning and searing. Yes, he was sick, sick of it all, of his work, of his home, of his married life. If he hadn't been engaged to marry, he could have gone west with Lincoln. And he, too, could go to dinner at Tosti's and ride in taxicabs and talk casually of prominent men. It was Mary who had robbed him of these things. It was marriage that had killed, or rather crushed, his ambitions, enslaved him, chained him down to poverty and ridicule, and he writhed at the word pity. Yes, he was sick, sick, sick unto death of it. He remembered that they were waiting for him to compose himself. He looked up, and his glance went directly past Mary's anxious face. It's the heat, I guess, he said. I'm sorry I've been such a fool. He looked around. Oh, to be away from them. If you don't mind, he continued, I'll step out into the street for a minute. You wait with Mary, Link, until I return. Don't you think I'd better go with you, Joe? Lincoln offered. Or me, Mary exclaimed. No, I, I think it's best for me to go alone. He smiled curiously at them and went into the bedroom for his hat and coat. In a minute, they heard him in the hall. Goodbye, he called out, and they answered together, Don't be long. Then the door slammed. The heat had been cruel that week. Men lifted their white, sweat-lined faces to the blazing sky apathetically. They were past the triviality of complaint. The sunlight was avoided like a dread thing, and they slunk along the shaded sides of the streets like whipped dogs. The heat stripped the masks from men's faces, stripped them of what lay beneath the masks, of pride, greed, lust, or of love and light, and left the suffering showing naked, 
Oh, it was unbearably hot that week. But tonight, when Joe came out into the street, the breath of one of those cool waves that suddenly blessed the sun-ridden city was creeping along the sides of the houses and lifting the papers and dust from the gutters. Joe raised his face to it, breathing it in deeply through his open mouth. His thoughts had stopped their mad racing. He was without purpose. All of his subsequent acts that night were without premeditation. He was like an inanimate thing, swept on from accident to accident, like one of the scraps of paper that the breeze blew down the street against iron railings, store signs, and lampposts. He walked to the corner, and beneath the light of the lamp drew from his pocket what money he had. There was $8.75, including five pennies. He divided the amount, throwing the coin left by the division into the street, returned to the entrance of his flat, and dumped half the money into the letter box that bore his name. He then walked down the avenue ten or perhaps twenty blocks. Presently he boarded a car going in the same direction, and rode until it reached a railway station, where he alighted and went into the station. In the waiting room he read over the bulletins, first consulting a large clock that glared from the wall. It was a quarter after eight. Bulletin number 12 showed that a train would leave at 8.28 for Westbury, Huntington, and Kings Park. He went to the ticket booth. A ticket for Kings Park, please, he said casually. And return, asked the man. No. The transaction left him with three dollars and a few odd cents. He boarded the train and sat without impatience, waiting for it to start. Perhaps the waiting made him think of Mary and Lincoln sitting home waiting for him. He laughed aloud, and people sitting near turned to look at him inquiringly. That night he slept beneath the open sky, sheltered only by what protection a hayrick gave. He had gone to the city from up the state ten years before, and knew the ways of the country. The next morning he breakfasted on milk stolen from a cow as she stood in a field, and on berries gathered along the roadside. Occasionally, with curious indifference, he thought of Mary and Lincoln. He wondered how they had acted when he had not returned, what they had said, how they had looked. He imagined the scenes in the office, the miserable office. How he hated its routine, its monotony, its deadness. He glanced around him at the smiling golden meadows and wide high sky, against the blue of which sailed tiny ships of clouds, silvery white as the down picked from a milkweed pod. Well, that was over, that life. He was free. No thought of returning came to him. Marriage had stifled him, but now he was freed from its bonds. No doubt he had taken a cowardly path, but the fact remains that he was free. He was free to build again. He had his chance of success now, as Lincoln had had his, but for the present all he wanted was rest, time in which to steady his racked nerves. As for Mary, well, he knew she was perfectly capable of taking care of herself, probably better than he had been able to take care of her. He knew his flight would not affect her material comfort. That, at least, could not be marked down against him. Evening found him asking for supper and a bed at the door of a farmhouse. They were given with fair grace, and in the morning he proffered a dollar bill, which, after some demur, was accepted. Still he hesitated. Finally, can you give me any work here, he asked the farmer. The man looked doubtful. Any references? Joe shook his head. Mr. Clay, the farmer, did not like to express the doubts he felt. His wife was more favorable. We need help, Will, she said. Joe had an inspiration. Here's my watch. He put the heavy gold piece into the farmer's hands. It was my father's keep it for security. The man's misgivings vanished. Take it back, he said, and stay, and he gave Joe his hand. Long days of work in the open air, long nights of heavy sleep, unbroken by dreams, brought to Joe swelling muscles and tanned cheeks. They brought more. They dulled memory with its many voices. 
the door that led to memories was bolted and marked unrest sundays however were troublesome all the afternoon there was nothing to do the farmer had two little girls the younger of whom spent all her spare time with joe chatting and asking questions she helped to pass many hours and with her tiny hands held shut the door but mr and mrs clay pushed the other way they were ordinary people but their quiet content made joe wonder they did not say much but there were glances instinct with comfort and pride in each other they were both nearing fifty yet there was something in their happiness and content that hurt while it swelled the heart so july and august went by and september reigned and one night in september not from any sudden accident not from any touchstone remembrance the door flew open it was but the natural force that had been gathering behind it it had been too completely closed and barred and with the flood that rushed from it with its accompanying light joe saw himself as he was he saw what had entered his married life his and mary's and he saw what had broken it he saw that it was not poverty the daily toil the commonplaces that mattered the trouble was that they had neglected the romance they had stripped away the glamour there was no mystery no allurement left he saw it all clearly and he saw that while mary's hands had helped his had been the more cruel suddenly his thoughts turned to mary the woman he thought of the lovely curve of her tinted cheek the swell of her bosom beneath the cheap print waist of her round white arms and her lips he thought of the little intimate things of their married life and he cried aloud that he wanted her god he wanted her so it was not the spirit alone that was sending him back the flesh too had its part in that wonderful and imperative call to return and perhaps after all that was as it should be the next morning at the first opportunity he told mr clay that he was going the way in which he told it showed the quality of the light that had entered into his being i left my wife he said simply and now i'm going back to ask her to forgive me mr clay sighed well you've been a great help and i'm sorry you have to go i didn't know he looked at joe with curiosity but the latter's expression although placid did not invite questions when are you going joe he asked i figured that the best train for me to leave on will be the 618 that'll bring me home about 8:30 he said goodbye to them that evening he kissed the children and when he came to mrs clay he took her hand and put it to his lips the woman flushed and half pulled her hand away you've been awful nice to me joe explained he meant more than the words expressed come and see us sometime mr clay urged i sure will said joe and bring my wife if i can he added he left them standing beneath the two apple trees that sheltered the front steps when he had gone a little way mr clay called after him good-bye and good luck to you joe waved his thanks not until he was seated in the train did he have any doubts about finding mary his thought visualized the scene on the night he had left he saw mary and lincoln sitting at the disordered table from the picture leapt the expression of lincoln's face joe suddenly remembered the great tenderness it wore but he also remembered that the pitying eyes were not on him but upon mary good old lincoln he thought it was not until half an hour later that the thought of lincoln made him burn as the disc of a song revolves on a phonograph so his mind in turning had come upon forgotten incidents in which lincoln and mary figured he recalled mary saying that lincoln a long while ago had asked her to marry him and her tender confession that even then he joe was the reason for her refusal from that time on the question that continually arose before him was what has mary done since i've been away and always intruding on the question was the face of lincoln with its tender eyes fixed on mary's white face when he finally reached the corner of the street where he had lived 
he was so shaken by doubt that he stopped short suppose mary had moved away why should she keep the flat what use would she have for him now anyway he felt it idle to go on and what of lincoln came in a flash this sent him forward with knitted brows and clenched hands the powerful springs of jealousy were stronger than the sense of his own unworthiness he did not stop until he had reached the door of the flat house there he nearly collided with a man coming out both started back and joe saw that the other man was lincoln the two gazed at each other with distrust on one side contempt on the other after a moment lincoln spoke what have you come back for joe straightened to ask mary if i can stay i can answer for her joe and spare you both the pain she's got no further use for you joe's light went out his spirit broken perhaps too easily but for the last two hours doubt had fought skillfully for a moment he felt that he must receive the message from mary herself i must hear her say that myself lincoln he said i can't let you joe mary isn't well a scene might be dangerous for her sake i ask you to go is is it you now lincoln after the divorce it will be lincoln's voice was hard and well controlled but his face burned red well good-bye lincoln said joe as he turned to walk away unsteadily he was halfway down the block before he felt lincoln's wild clutch on his arm and lincoln's wild voice in his ears crying go back you fool i can't i can't he flung himself over against the wall and stood there sobbing oblivious of the lighted street and the people passing joe did not even glance at him he turned and in a walk broken by running went back with his mind still dazed he was at the door of the flat his home with hand raised to knock but his fingers fell on the knob he turned it and the door opened it was very dark inside and he felt his way along the hall and into the front room pausing once or twice to listen wondering why he did not call to her but he was hardly in the room when he saw that mary was there seated by the window a black silhouette against the gray he waited for her to speak but finally he was forced to break the silence with the single word mary you've come back joe she answered yes why her tone was lifeless to ask you oh mary what have you been doing how have you been living have you been well have you suffered no her voice was still calm i haven't suffered i got a position as a stenographer under my maiden name and i've held it all this time until last week i've been quite well they were silent again while through the darkness crept the sounds of the street the cries of children a woman singing a man's laugh coarsened by drink and ending in an oath the sliding buzz of the trolley the whole composite of sounds that is silence to the city dweller except moments like these that joe and mary were living again it was joe who was compelled to speak shall shall i go away again mary he waited for her answer but it did not come shall i he repeated he waited again peering through the blackness as his eyes became accustomed to the dark he saw that her arms were on the window sill and her head resting on them suddenly he knew that she was crying he sprang toward her and after a moment's hesitation his hand fell on her shoulder mary he said she swung around and her hands clutched him oh joey oh joey and afterward don't ever go away from me again joey you're the only one the only one for me her voice went low and vibrant so that he had to bend near to hear and bending he felt her quiver and i need you now more than ever that's why i had to give up my position lean nearer joey so that i can whisper in your ear he sank to his knees before her his hands in her lap clasped by her hands he was thrilled tender bold 
the woman before him was a mystery yet as clear to his eyes as a shallow brook running over pebbles he was a bit afraid of her yet wonderfully conscious of her love for him she was as mysterious as wonderful as vital to him as life itself for the romance had returned end of the glamour by oscar grave